If you don't know me, uh, my name's Mark, uh, member of the congregation here and a student at Oak Hill College. Um, nice to see you all. Um, let me just get into character for the start. Don't worry, I'm not going to act for long and it's not going to be very good acting either. I've had an amazing week. It's been absolutely the best. Um, so I had an interview for promotion at work and I absolutely smashed it. Um, I don't think anyone else has got a chance for that. Um, I've got kids at school and they are amazing, uh, two of them, and they're both top of their class. We had one of their parents' evening this week and woo, they're better than everyone else there. Um, my new electric car, why hasn't everyone got an electric car? They're the best. Um, and then last night, so get this, someone invited me to like one of those Zoom quizzes, which we've all had enough of by now. Um, I had to turn them down because I had something a little bit better. Um, I was on a Zoom call with the whole cast of the next Avengers movie, and then this morning I've been chatting away with Chris Hemsworth. So I think my week is pretty good. My life is the best. Acting done. Um, how do you feel about this person? Do you feel like, oh, good for them? Maybe you're more charitable than me. Or are you a bit envious, a bit like annoyed with them? Do you think you'd get on with them? Would you want to work together with them? Boasting is ugly and it's divisive. It's not a good look. I, I doubt many of us go around like this person, uh, talking quite like that. But there are subtle ways we do that. We might do it in our everyday life, but actually in church we might even do that. As Christians we might do this, not, not speaking out loud, but in the, in the quietness of our hearts. Maybe we boast of our knowledge of the Bible. Maybe we boast of our good living, our progress, our charitable work, our musical ability, our singing, uh, who we're friends with. The list could go on and on and on. There are lots of subtle things which could make us look down on someone else. So as, as we start today, I just want to ask us to ask this question of ourselves uh, in our hearts. Are we, are we boasters in our hearts? I'll just give you like five seconds. Just think about that now and keep thinking as we go through. Am I a boaster in my heart? So, in our passage today, Paul is laying out two big reasons why boasting is inappropriate for Christians. And if we digest these reasons for ourselves, then it should shape us to be more humble. It should chip away at that boasting in our heart. And when that happens, when we are this more humble people, then we're better equipped to live together in unity and to reach out to the world in mission. So Paul is writing this, concerned that the church in Rome be united and then get on board with his mission to tell the gospel to the world. But if they're a person like this boaster, then they'll be useless. And the same is true of us. So this section we're in now is following on from the big argument that's been working all the way through uh, Romans so far. And it's the application of the last section. So let me just work us through to where we're up to now. We've had a couple of chapters spelling out 
the rubbish situation that humanity stands in. We stand in God's cosmic courtroom. We're in the dock being accused. Um, and Paul has put aside all of the arguments we could make, all the excuses we could make. Um, we can make comparisons, shortcuts, claim our privilege. Um, he's done away with all of them and forced us all to acknowledge that we are part of the problem, me and you. And we're left in this place where we're standing in the dock before the holy judge of the whole universe and we are silent. We can't say anything. All we do is wait for the guilty verdict. But then there came one of the big buts of scripture, as Chris Stead so eloquently put it last week. Um, look down at verse thir- uh, chapter 3, verse 21, if you've got it open in front of you. And if you haven't got it open in front of you, open it up, because um, it'll be really useful. Um, it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God has offered his righteousness, that is that legal declaration of being right with God. It's not just a blank slate where all of the bad things we've done are sort of wiped away, but no, we're given the perfect obedience of Jesus. God offers that to all who believe. And it's not just a legal fiction, God finding a sneaky loophole, doing some dodgy dealings. No, God does this perfectly justly. He justly justifies his people because of Jesus' death. So that's what leads us up to verse 27, which says, where then is boasting? In the light of what we've just heard, what boasting can a Christian make? It is excluded. And so to fill out this answer, Paul unpacks the idea that we've already heard from verse 22, that this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What he's saying is this. Boasting is excluded because righteousness is for free and it's for all by faith. That's the core of what we'll be thinking about today. Boasting is excluded Because righteousness is for all, and it's for free, by faith. And so Paul works under two sort of big headlines uh, that he lays out in verses 27 to 31. So verses 27 to 31, they lay out these two headlines, and then the rest of the chapter sort of backs those two headlines up. First chunk like that, second chunk like that. And so we're going to think about them under these sort of two headlines. So the first headline is this. Boasting is excluded by faith because righteousness is a free gift by faith. Look at verse 27 with me. Boasting is excluded. But by what? Not by a law of works, but by the law of faith. If you've got the older NIV in front of you, it doesn't make it very obvious, but it's the same word for law that Paul's been using all the way through. He's saying this law of works, that's not the way, but this law of faith, that is the way. And the point is that it's the same law, but the response is different. The law is meant to point us to faith. 
Verse 28 makes it clearer. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from observing, apart from doing the works of the law. We're not saved by anything that we do. We are saved by faith alone. Now we'll come back to 29 to 31 in a bit later. But let's skip on to start of chapter 4 where we see the example from Abraham's life which Paul uses to fill out this point. So look at chapter 4 verse 1 with me. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So this picks up on the key verse that we had from our first reading from Genesis. God made a promise to Abraham and Abraham believed him. That's what faith is, trusting in God's promises, taking him at his word. So even Abraham, the great father of the Jewish people, he had nothing to boast about. He's one of those figures that sort of towers over the whole Old Testament. And even he had nothing to boast about before God because his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Now that phrase, credited to him as righteousness, that might sound a bit sort of jargony. If I just asked you quickly now to tell me exactly what that means, you might be a bit like, I don't know. Um, But Paul gives us an illustration in Abraham's life to help explain how this means. So in verse 4, Now to the one who works... Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. If you'd been working all month, and then at the end of the month, you didn't receive your wage, you'd be surprised, perhaps annoyed. You'd probably get in touch with HR or payroll or somebody like that, and essentially ask, Where's my money? Now Paul is saying that viewing obedience to God as this sort of law of works is like having that perspective. You put in your hours, your hard graft of obeying God, and then you expect your payout at the end. You've earned it. You deserve it. But we've seen in Romans already how no one is declared righteous before God through works of the law. We can't earn God's verdict of righteousness because we've turned away from God in fact all we earn for ourselves is the verdict of guilty but now switch the situation up you're unemployed and you haven't got any way of earning money you've maxed out your credit card your debit card you've gone fully into the overdraft use that all and your wallet is empty of money when all of a sudden someone transfers their credit to your account. Not just enough money to cover your debt, but enough money to see you safe and secure for the rest of your life. It's a free gift, undeserved, not even asked for. That's what it's like with God. God credits our account with his righteousness that we do not deserve, that we have not earned. But wait a second, you might say. That verse said, Abraham's faith was credited as righteousness. Didn't his faith earn it? No. That would make his faith some work that he has to do. 
And Paul's already made clear that no work is going to earn us God's righteousness. Let's make it double clear. We'll go back to that sort of situation of being unemployed and in debt. Change the picture slightly. The money doesn't just appear in your account this time. Now there's a letter pushed through the letterbox. And it says, come to my house down the street and I'll give you all this money. And so you take them at their word. You trust them. You walk down the street, you go to the house, and they give you the money. As you go to their house and walk down the street, that isn't an action which earns you the money. It's not something which merits them giving it to you by saying, I've walked down the street, you have to give me money now. It's simply the means by which they credit the money to your account. That's like faith. Faith is necessary. We need to, we need to have it to receive this, but it isn't something which earns us righteousness. It's not a trade or a swap. It's more like the channel through which God gives us his righteousness. So if we believe this, it changes the way we respond. When we receive something as a free gift, we don't boast of me, of ourselves. We can't boast of our own merit and worth, but rather we tell of the generosity and grace of the one who gave the gift. Imagine that unemployed situation again, and what they would do once they'd received this gift. Do you think they would go and boast about themselves like, yes, look at me. I've earned this money. No, no, that's ludicrous. They couldn't start looking down on someone else or boasting themselves because it's not their own merit that's raised them up. It's the, the grace and generosity of this philanthropist. What they would do is they would be thankful and they would point others who are in financial difficulty. Go ask this guy. But in case one example wasn't enough for us, Paul gives us a second. He adds on another giant of the Old Testament, King David. Look at verse 6 with me now. You see, King David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God's credit, God credits righteousness apart from works. Then Paul quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them it's that same word he won't god won't count it he won't credit their sin to them but instead will credit them he will count his righteousness to them so it's not just how god worked for abraham it's not just how god worked for david but it's how god worked for every old testament believer it's how god worked for paul and the roman church and it's how he worked for us it's how god has always worked Old Testament believers didn't get saved in any other way. They were saved by faith, just the same as us. So that's why Paul says back in verse 31 that faith upholds the law rather than nullifying it, because faith is what the law points to. See God's faithfulness. It's the way God worked then, it's the way God works now. They had no grounds for boasting, and neither do we. Because righteousness is a free gift of faith. It's a free gift, not earned by works. So for us today, that means we have no grounds for boasting in ourselves. No matter how good we are at living as a Christian, no matter how regularly we read our Bible or pray, no matter how well we can sing or who we know at church, no matter what we're asked to do in church. But as Christians, and we remember we're people saved from a crushing debt that we could not afford, 
and God has pulled us out from under that, then it stops us puffing up our chest and boasting about ourselves. But rather, it puts us on our knees, praising God's kindness and telling other people about how they can know this kindness for themselves. So boasting is excluded by faith because righteousness is a free gift by faith. And now we come to our second headline. Boasting is excluded by faith because all can be children of Abraham by faith. Can we get that slide up there? All can be children of Abraham by faith. There's been a lot of talk in Romans already about Jews and Gentiles. And the question Paul addresses here picks up on that. So now we're going back to verse 29 for our second headline. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. There is only one God, and he is God of all people. He is the creator of everyone, and everyone owes their allegiance to him. He is the same God who works in the same way for all people. So as Paul writes to this church in Rome, the big issue for them is Jew and Gentile there. But that might not seem a totally pressing issue for us today. But it does have broader implications. If for any reason we think we're the sort of person who God particularly likes. Because if we think our circumstance, whether that's coming from a Christian family or having gone to church for ages, uh, or the fact we lead a small group or help out with youth work, if we think for any of those reasons that God is going to favour us, we're wrong. Paul's point here is that all believers are brought into one family. And he supports this point in exactly the same way he did the first, with an example from the life of Abraham. So it goes from chapter 4, verse 9, this example. Let me read it to you. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? It's that same question as verse 29, just using circumcision as a shorthand for the law, for being a Jew. We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he's the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And then he is also the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All can be children of Abraham by faith. And the point's made this simple bit of history. Abraham's faith was credited as righteousness, Genesis chapter 15. And he wasn't circumcised until Genesis chapter 17, about at least 13 years later. So Abraham is this real-life example of how the Jew and the Gentile are saved in the same way. Because Abraham was justified before he'd made any covenant, before he'd received any sign of the covenant, before he was circumcised. Paul describes this delay between these two things as an intentional choice by God to show that Abraham could be the father of both circumcised and uncircumcised. 
those under the law and those not, Jew and Gentile. So Abraham is the father of all who have faith, not just ethnic Jewish believers, but for me and you today, if we are Gentile believers, we're children of Abraham. And so that means we are one family. If you are a Christian today, look around this church. We're brothers and sisters in one family. Now, families can be messy things. We know that. We don't always treat each other rightly. I just want a little bit of participation from you guys now. Don't worry, it's very, very simple. Um, If you have ever had a fight with a brother, a sister, a mother, or a father, could you just raise your hand for me, please? Wow, we've got some, some, some people who are, who are very, very godly. Um, but for everyone else, we fight. It's, it's messy. It's not always easy, and things go wrong. We don't get to choose who's in our family. We're, we're just given them. And so they're not always like us. We don't always get along naturally. Even in a small family, there's very different characters. But for us as a church, actually, we're part of a huge family, so there's going to be people who are not like us. They will not be, our brothers and sisters will not be the same as us, and they will rub us up the wrong way, and we will sometimes misunderstand them. But there's something beautiful about being a family, because we know what families are meant to be like, even though they're not always. We should treat each other with love and honour. Rather than looking down on others in our family who we don't think meet our standards, we should help lift them up. We should love and encourage them. Abraham's family, our family, is full of scumbags who are sanctified, sick people who are saved, sinners who are saints, and all of this is by faith. That is what marks out being a member of Abraham's family, faith not circumcision or uncircumcision or any other outward sign. It doesn't matter whether you're from a Christian family who can trace their heritage back to William the Conqueror or if you're the first person in your family who's ever believed the gospel. It doesn't matter if you have connections with all the right people from all the right churches all over the country or the only Christians you know are in this building right now. It doesn't matter if you know all the Christian buzzwords and have done since you were a kid or whether you come to church each week and you find out the meaning of new words. It doesn't matter if you can recite the Bible cover to cover or when somebody says, find Romans 4, you have to look in the contents page and then find it. Our belonging isn't marked out by our dress code, the way we speak or sing, or even who or what we know. It is only marked out by faith because there is one God who brings us all into one family by faith alone. So now let's imagine a believer, let's call him Bill. He's on the church council. He knows the Bible really well. And he reads it each day alongside praying for an extended period. He is charitable. He's an upstanding member of the community. His life is exemplary. But in his heart, tucked away, is this slight sense of superiority. He sees some of the others at church and think, they've really not got it together. They don't know the Bible as well as I do. Why do they sing so badly? They th- he thinks his, their life doesn't look quite as shiny as his. Let me come back to that question I asked you at the start to consider, are you a boaster in your heart? 
Are you at all like Bill? Is there something tucked away in your heart which sometimes looks out and thinks, I'm just a little bit better by your knowledge of the Bible, your moral uprightness, your acts of kindness, your connections, your responsibilities? Again, I'm just going to give you five seconds to think for yourself. Am I a boaster in my heart? Is there some way that I look down on other believers? If you see a hint of this in your heart, take heed and repent. But the solution to this isn't just beat yourself up, be more humble, love people better, but rather it's to fix our eyes on what God has done for us, to see that he has made us one family, to see that he's given us all believers his righteousness as a free gift by faith. If we fix our thoughts on those things, then the way we live with our Christian family will be different. It'll be distinctive. Because boasting is excluded when we see that righteousness is for free and for all by faith. The gospel message of grace humbles us and unites us. So when a person who thinks, I'm not good enough to come to your church, comes and sees what church is like. They see a group of people who don't look down their noses at them, but who are humble. They tell of God's goodness, not their own. Maybe it's a, a single mother who thinks if she comes to church, people just look down on me. Or the drug, drug addict who knows that she's seriously harmed herself and others. Or the homeless man who hasn't felt welcomed by any other community. When we stop boasting in ourselves and start telling of God's goodness, it makes us a community which is ready to welcome these people in. It makes us people who is ready to reach out to those people. It makes us ready for mission to the world. I don't know about you, but that picture is beautiful. Like it's that humble church picture. I, I want that. And so I think, well, we can't do it by ourselves. So we need to pray. So that's what we're going to do now. Let's pray. Please, Father God, Father of this whole family, would you fix our eyes on what you have done, on how you've freely given us your righteousness, Jesus' perfect record of obedience, and how you've brought us together into one family, all this by faith alone. Not something that we've earned, but something you have freely given. Please, would you smash the pride of our hearts, would you humble us? Would you remove envy and boasting from our lives and make us into a family who love each other sincerely, that we would be united and ready to tell the gospel to the world? Amen.